0: Justin what is going on my man Saul I just want to say happy holidays today the day that we're recording this podcast is national or international podcast day it's our first international podcast day Saul so cheers to you my friend first one in the books for the total bs podcast
1: I, I had the preemptive eye roll because I definitely thought you were going to talk about the Lakers today, <laughs> which was another holiday for you, so we'll just go ahead and get started and ignore what I just did. Your fans just might turn into off fans. Be cool, it's just part
2: of the program. Spit your best 16 if you much You're not whack, you just sound whack, rapping after us. Yo. your fans just might turn into off fans. Be cool, it's just a part of this program
1: and once again you can always subscribe to us on youtube facebook and listen to our podcast on apple spotify amazon we're in india we're worldwide baby did you Everywhere. know that justin <laughs> we're in india <laughs> we are we That's are the... in india I... <laughs> I somebody promise... listened to us in india oh hell yeah we got like 10 <laughs> listeners in india i don't know if you knew that but the analytics tell that. us that we are worldwide, so we are going to run with it. Shout out! Uh, <laughs> but today we have two very special guests joining us on the Total BS Podcast. Uh, they are uh, producers and they have directed this, the most recent HBO documentary uh, airing October seventh. It is called Wild Card: The Downfall of a Radio Loudmouth. Uh, again on HBO, uh, and here's a sneak peek. <laughs>
0: Good morning, everybody! For 10 years, I was the morning man in the city
1: I grew up in. It's Boomer Esiason and Craig Carton on the fan. Who's the number one morning
0: show in New York and in America? If you want to go into it, let's go into it. But not today, because we had other people want to talk, and you're boring me. Craig, Goodbye.
3: Craig comes from a line of shock jocks talking about the games and who to bet.
0: What just am I, like, five years old? How do you make picks not with a spread?
3: He was the
1: crazy, zany radio guy. And then you had the common sense athlete. He was the fire starter, and I had to play off of him.
3: You have 500 other choices on the radio. Guess what?
1: You listen to me. The listeners didn't want to miss what I was going to say next.
3: If you gave me 10 grand,
0: I'd guarantee you 25,000. I won $80,000.
1: As it's turned out, that was the worst thing that's ever happened.
0: I'm now the blackjack
1: whisperer. So I started to get approached by the people who wanted to know if I wanted to be in business with them. I had no idea how much he was gambling. I borrowed over $30 million to gamble with. I had no idea that anybody was contacting him. I thought I was the best, and I didn't think any casino could beat me. I won $325,000 in like nine minutes and walked out the door to go to work. He would hand me a knapsack, and inside was a million dollars.
0: He was out of control. Falling apart. If you lose their money, this isn't good. Only ends one way. I took 950000 for gambling. Can't take money for one purpose and use it for another. That is fraud.
1: We had the world by the balls. He ruined what we all had. Craig Carton has been suspended. Boom.
3: This afternoon, a jury convicted Craig Carton.
1: Uh, joining us today are the producers Martin Dunn and Marie McGovern. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us today.
2: Thank it's you. a pleasure. So if you're international and worldwide and you can tell that you know I'm not from the Bronx, so yes. will my uh, will all my family and everybody be able to hear this over in, in the UK? You have oh, access absolutely.
1: to our whole library. <laughs> Fantastic.
2: How great is that? Be now living with How you. great is that.
0: <laughs> so Saul, India. And now in the, the UK. UK, baby. There we go. That's it it's spreading the world, baby. <laughs>
2: uh,
1: well, you know, again, thank you for joining us today. Uh, Justin and I had the opportunity to take a look at the, the documentary, and it is very, very good. Uh, but, you know, first, obviously, the, the most obvious question is, is why? Why why this documentary and what what made you go down? Yeah. This is also the second New York-based documentary you've done in the last two years, correct?
2: That is true. We did a uh, uh, documentary on Tom Siever. And Marie well
3: actually uh Seaver we spent a lot of time out in California uh, out in Calistoga with him uh, at, at their place uh, so that that was a kind of a, a california based but with the New York uh, Mets hook definitely but um with with carton um Carton is a universal story Carton says story is one of Uh, working your way to the top and having a great fall, uh, a very public and spectacular fall. And I think that that's a story that will interest just about everybody.
2: And how it came about is um, about five years ago, six years ago, we had an idea for a a sports talk show. And um, we never met Craig, but we approached him to see if he would like to be the face of that that program. And so we met him. And uh, we sort of got on a great with him. We did a a sizzle wheel. We pitched the show. It didn't go anywhere, but we sort of stayed in touch with him a little bit. Our paths crossed. And then completely out of the blue, we were blindsided when, um, in 2017, Mm -hmm. uh, Craig, it was announced that Craig had been arrested by the FBI. And um, Marie just sent Craig a note and said, look, you know, we know what it's like being in the media spotlight with both newspaper journalists uh, by profession if you ever want to have a chat about it or have a bolt hole in our tiny little office to uh, get away from the pressure just give us a call and all he said was thank you and that was pretty much the last we heard from him until January 2019 right? That's right. Yeah,
3: and he literally gave us a call out of the blue and he said uh, We had just gotten a little bit of press um, that Siever was going to be released and airing on Fox And uh, he said the Sievers are notoriously private people and they don't like to uh, Talk to folks too much and if they trusted you to tell their story then I think I can trust you to tell mine And so that's really how it it all happened. He knocked on our door our our humble little door here uh, in uh, January of 2019 and sat down and began to tell us the story of his secret life and his secret gambling addiction.
2: And for four hours he sat with us and uh, and just talked and, and our jaws were literally hitting the desk. Um, we, Even though there'd been stuff in the newspapers about what Craig had allegedly been up to, the extent of it <laughs> hadn't been revealed at all and he just he just went through the whole thing, I mean, didn't he?
3: Yeah, I mean the the numbers, the helicopters, and at midnight, uh, you know, the casinos and wiring money and duffel bags filled with cash. I mean, it sounded like something out of a you know out of a James Bond film or something. But <laughs> um, indeed, it was all true. Yeah,
2: and yeah. that was between that was that was after he'd been convicted, but before he'd been sentenced, yeah. and uh, so. Craig just said to us, you know, if you know, I'd love you to tell the whole story. I want you to tell the whole story. I want the world to hear the whole story. And um, we had some connection with HBO. They they considered our Tom Seaver documentary. So we called up HBO and said, um, are you interested in this? And and they leapt on the opportunity. So that's how the whole thing came
0: about. When you spoke to Craig, you said your jaws were hitting the floor. That's actually in my notes for this interview was what was the most jaw dropping moment uh, when you talked to him?
2: Well, I think in the initial in the initial conversation we had with him, um, the extent, depth and size and scale of his gambling addiction, you know, we say in the film, um, he took, he gambled with uh, 30 million dollars that had come from various lenders. That is a pretty jaw dropping number. Um, and, and also the, the subterfuge, I think that he carried out the fact that he could, um, wait for the family to fall asleep, uh, get up at midnight, jump on a helicopter, gamble for two or three hours, and then be back in the studio at 6am and do a show like nothing had ever happened. I mean, that to me, that, that sort of, um, level of, uh, of subterfuge was extraordinary. Yeah.
1: You know, it's what's kind of crazy about sports um, and and celebrities and the spotlight life is, is that you get two personalities with a lot of these people is, you know, you get the one in front of the camera and when they're on air, and then you have the one that's behind the scenes. And so many of those instances, what you see on TV is not exactly what you get in real life. Uh, When you spoke to Craig and even five years ago, when you approached him, um, how, how impactful was it to tell that side of the story as well um, in your documentary? Because you highlighted it quite a bit at the beginning of it.
3: Oh, definitely. I mean, well, Craig, everyone always said that Craig's on-air personality was an act, right? But but I think there's also a, a, a good portion of your personality that is who you are. Uh, but I think in those, those years prior, um, he was the the two worlds were starting to blend a little bit. And I think the lines were starting to blur. I mean, he was at the height of his career. He's paired up with Boomer and They're number one in the market. And, you know, they're the place to go to for any celebrity any major athlete, any big story. And so he was really enjoying the highlight. And I think he was kind of starting to believe his own press for a little while. And I think he was starting to, um, Perhaps uh, just submerge himself in that fantasy world of being the radio star uh, a little bit too much.
2: Yeah, I think as Boomer says in the in the film, you know, Craig had this vision of being a a, a huge media brand, and uh, I think to a certain extent he got a little bit a little bit carried away with that.
1: Do you think uh, you know? Obviously, like sometimes with these things um, you know, he, he had a lot of trauma earlier on in his life and he, he hid that. And you guys, you know, talked about that at a great length, but because of that, you know, there's like this chip on his shoulder to prove so many things throughout the course of his life. Any concern, maybe moving forward? Uh, because I know that there's the potential of him, um, jumping on to another radio station here or there, um, which is currently going on. Any concern that he might lose a little bit of that edge when he comes back to radio because he doesn't, he's no longer harboring those, those bad feelings. You
3: know what, I, Craig. Has remained the um, sarcastic, acerbic, quick-witted guy that you or his fans have come to know and love on air, um, and and. Craig has said that I'm good at one thing. I'm good at hosting a radio show. He sucks as a businessman, as he is. I think everybody else knew that ahead of Craig, unfortunately, but he has finally come to that own realization, and um, I think he he will come back and be the entertainer and be as entertaining. But to Martin, Martin always makes a good point about that.
2: Yeah, I I think there will be. There will be an element of empathy that he didn't have before. I don't think you can go through what he's been through, which is to be absolutely at the top of the mountain and then go all the way to the bottom and then suffer the indignity of being in prison for uh, a year.
3: And have it all done in the public eye. And have
2: mm-hmm. it all done in the public eye. I don't think you can do that and not be changed. And I think one of the things that comes out in the film, I certainly hope so, is that, you see at the end when we interview him post-prison that there is a difference in him. There is a, there is much more an acceptance that his actions impact other people. Um, I think pre-prison and pre this whole episode in his life, I don't think he ever considered that what he did, what he said, how he acted, uh, impacted other people.
3: Yeah, they could have all lost their jobs that day. You know, th- there was no reason for WFAN to say that's it for Boomer and Carton's Show and everybody around it, and you're all out of a job now. And that never occurred to him uh, before. And uh, then post prison, all of a sudden, you see that kind of the light bulb goes on, and he and he got it.
0: What was the first big domino that fell into Craig's gambling addiction? at a monumental level because when he was a kid, there was a story about the bike and then somewhere in the documentary, Don Imus and his awful comments on the air, which then gave Craig a shot to host the morning show. Like after talking to all these people, including Craig, what do you think was the biggest domino that led him down this path?
2: Well, I mean, they, they talk about the infamous boomer bet where, um, he borrowed money from Boomer Science
1: at the Bravada.
3: Well, he didn't borrow money. He... Well, he, he,
2: he took he took money from from Boomer. He flipped it. I will double yeah. your money or more than double your who money. Who wouldn't
3: have taken that? Okay.
2: And as he as he says that, then opened the door for other people to offer him money and say, so "Do the same for me." Now, I think most of us would take a step back and say, "Look, you know, this was a thing I did for Boomer, who is my yeah. business partner. He's the guy I've worked with for ten years." Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do. Yeah. I'm not going to do anything stupid. Um, I don't think Craig's filter was quite engaged properly at that particular time. And so, once you start borrowing money at that level and have a self belief that you are a better gambler than any than than anybody else in America, I think that is a very very slippery slope, and that's what started this whole cascade downwards. I
3: mean, you know, Craig was always a gambler and thank you for watching the film. We appreciate that. And his father did corroborate that story, by the way, too, because we asked uh, about the bike. Um, but but I think, to your point, Justin, a very good question is what really was that tipping point that sent him over the edge? and it's And it was that boomer bet because all of a sudden it never occurred to me either that people would be calling up and saying, I have $500,000 I'll give you if you can guarantee me $550,000 next month. Um, and Craig then went from gambling. They always say you should never gamble more than you can afford to lose. Uh, well, Craig was doing that, I think, all along. But then all of a sudden, he started getting these investors to come in, and then it just got so out of control. And the money, you know, you lose you lose $2,000. That's one thing. You lose $200,000 in a night
1: then it's not so easy to make that. Justin loses $2 on a bet, and he's already crying, <laughs> so trust me, I'm, we know. I'm,
0: I put five on the Lakers, and I lose <laughs> it, and I'm just like pulling out my hair. <laughs>
1: so uh, yeah, what I like about the documentary, too, is is that obviously we know that, that trouble is ahead from the very beginning because we wouldn't be doing a documentary if there wasn't any type of strife or conflict, right? Um, but you guys set it up in a very – you kind of slow-played it to a degree in terms of when he actually – Gets busted by the uh, the FBI um, in what I call the come to Jesus moment, um, you know, and, and I just loved <laughs> how you how you laid it out. And you know, three thirty in the morning, he's coming out of his apartment, getting ready to go to work, and here comes the FBI agent up the stairs to asking him questions. And um, when when Craig talked about that moment, um, I know I, I've met several people that have had that moment themselves when they realized they were in trouble, and that was it. Um, how you know, emotionally, how did he he really explain and describe that moment to you guys um, as it was happening in real
2: life? He was beyond stunned. Well, right? I think, you, you know, he, he uses
3: was. that phrase. He said, this is surreal. This can't possibly be happening. And I think that's something that everybody can relate to, like uh, this you know, all of a sudden I'm going to work, I should be on air and now all of a sudden I'm, I'm sitting in the back of, of a car, you know, heading to FBI uh, headquarters. And I imagine it was probably all like a very bad dream.
2: Yeah, I, I think it's one of those things that you always think happens to other people, not to you. And- I I cannot imagine what it must do to you to suddenly see someone come towards you and hold up the FBI badge and say, you know, are you Craig Carton? And, of course,
1: I said, I said come to Jesus, but I meant, oh, shit.
2: Yeah. And, and like, you know, he's walking down the stairs and somebody says, are you Craig Carton? His natural reaction is, oh, another fan, you know, even though it's 3 o'clock, nearly 4 o'clock in the morning. And when that badge comes out, that is—that must be absolutely heart-stopping. He—he he really, he said that was his day of reckoning, and he will never experience anything like that. The humiliation of it, the the not knowing what was going to happen next, the fact that you're stuck and, and handcuffed in a room for four hours, um, not knowing what's going to happen, not able to reach out to anybody, not even be able to tell the guys at FAN what's happening.
3: Right. Yeah, and that's one of my favorite parts of the movie, actually, is to be able to lay that out and kind of give everybody um, the global view of what was going through everybody's head. You know, who knew it was Governor Christie's birthday that morning and he was supposed to call in? You know, all of these little behind the scenes, uh, little factoids that we were able to bring together to kind of create a real picture of just the kind of craziness that was going on. That morning.
2: Yeah. I mean, the chaos that must have been happening in Craig's studio when, and I think Boomer says it best, when the program director comes into the studio and says, Don't say anything, don't say anything. And Boomer goes, What do you mean, don't say anything? The talk show host who is supposed to be talking with me has been arrested by the FBI. You know, I've got to say something. And the chaos that must have been roiling around um, WFAN at that, that morning. It was extraordinary, but of course they still had to keep doing the
0: show. Yeah, and they did. Well, and you're the the top radio host in the largest media market in the in the entire country. And when something like that happens, it's going to be a media circus. And that was one thing that I I took away from the documentary was Boomer's reaction to watching Craig walking out with his hood on, and reporters were just swirling around him trying to get anything out of him. Do you remember watching that? moment in real time
2: well i was a big fan of Boomer mccartney and i was driving in that morning because i always used to listen to them um and obviously he wasn't on but of course it took the show quite a while to actually for boomer to make that announcement right and then
3: right and then and then by the time um he was arraigned and he walked out of uh, federal court at uh, 500 uh, pearl street over here and, and being veteran daily news uh journalists, Uh, I I mean, I knew all of the folks that were in that media scrum, and we knew all of the photographers that were there. And we were, that's something that we would have been right in there uh, with years ago, uh, had had we not uh, left the news and started our own company. So uh, it was something we were very familiar with. And that's part of the reason why we reached out because we know how brutal it can be. And even Craig said, I had no idea. You know, I had no idea how big the show was. I had no idea how, like you said, Lord of the Flies, like they were in my face. And um, it's a pretty uh, harrowing place to be. I wouldn't want to be there.
2: But one thing we can tell you, and this this can go into the file for if I ever get arrested uh, <laughs> box, right, for, for, for future reference. Uh, Craig said to us, and I, it's not in the film, but he said, to this, he said this privately, he said, the one thing I regret when I came out of court was pulling my hood up. He's, yeah, he's like, I look
3: stupid. Don't, I should pull have done your, that.
2: don't pull your hood up when you come out of court because it guarantees to make you look guilty. So, when yeah.
3: you two get arrested, just <laughs>
2: <come> <laughs> keep the hood down and keep the hood down.
3: And we will reach out to you and offer you shelter <laughs> and, and advice. So, as long as you do the same for us, if you
1: I got to. you. I got it. We got, <laughs> you. we got you. We definitely will not publicize that on our podcast. How about that? <laughs> um, you know, your, your style and documentary style is a little bit different. Um and especially at the beginning of um I, I saw a little clip from Seaver uh, and as well as this documentary. Um you have an intro from that person's point of view to a degree and, and I like the the um the narration um if you will you know and you had Craig do that in, in this one where he just was like you know we were on top of the world and blah blah blah. Um, why why that style and and how did you, do you think it differentiates from other documentaries that have been done in other sports and in other um, uh, endeavors?
2: Well, we sort of considered the idea incredibly briefly that do we need a narrator to come in and tell the story? But, you know, when you've got a guy whose life has been 30 years on the radio and does nothing but talk for a living and you put him in front of a camera, nobody's gonna be able to tell the story better than he can. And also, we were very lucky, I think, very fortunate in that many of the people that we interviewed are also in that world, world, the world that we're all in, and have the ability to talk um, very sort of candidly, very openly, um, very compellingly to camera. There, There aren't many, you know, a lot of people in life who will just freeze the moment they see a camera in front of them, but these guys didn't, and so therefore the film sort of took on a life of its own, didn't it? It, it? it evolved naturally, really.
3: And we had spent quite a bit of time with Craig um, after he was sentenced uh, in April, but before he went to jail in June. Um, we kind of embedded ourselves with him uh, over two two months, I guess, two and a half months. Um, and we literally just, every time he had something to say, we'd turn on the camera and we'd sit down and we'd just record.
1: Did he ever mention, you know, I mean, he got he got arrested initially uh, in September of 2017, and then he didn't even get convicted or, or sentenced until almost two years Oh, two years later, essentially. Um, did he talk about like the weight of of that whole period of time in between the two?
2: He he'd said, um, I mean, his attorney sort of assured him. And Craig says, you know, the Constitution guarantees that you allowed a quick trial. He said, you know, try and find that in practice um, and that, that was a very, I think that was one of the toughest times for him because he knew something was gonna happen to him, but you know, it was just a wait, wait, wait for it. And to a certain extent when he went to prison, I think he, he sort of felt relieved because as he yeah, said to just, us, oh. it's the first day of getting through yeah. What I've got to get through. Right. So I think. Well,
1: essentially, it's all over, right? Like you're you're done with the bad part. Well, and right start, it starts. starts
2: to be over. Yeah. yeah. And
3: it had to have been very painful for him to sit there at home, knowing that you know the Boomer show was going on, and and you know life goes on, and there he is, he's kind of this ghost, you he's know, in limbo, stuck yeah. in between totally in limbo two worlds. I mean, that had to have been incredibly painful.
0: For sure. Now, another uh, chilling part of the documentary, and it gave me goosebumps, like it, it made me really uncomfortable watching it was when he went to the ski lift yeah, and, and, and and he contemplated uh, suicide. And then it shows the camera on the, the what's it called? The high rise or the, the lift or the, the lift, the lift.
3: Yeah, he yeah. kept calling it the uh, the lift chair, but it's actually the, the lift
0: chair. chair. <laughs> yeah, the, um but seeing like setting up the scene and kind of showing it from his perspective and then him talking about and then I lifted up the bar and I was having a conversation out loud with myself and I just kept g- inching closer and closer to the edge and then it took one phone call to his show producer and that guy calmed him down and and uh, essentially saved his life. Hearing that story as directors and producers, what was that like?
2: Well, although it pains me to do this, I have to sort of congratulate my my, my partner here for, for, <laughs> for getting us into that story. When we first met Craig in uh, 2019, beginning of 2019, before we actually started shooting the documentary properly, um, Craig had been talking about gambling to us and said that um, – addictive gamblers have one of the highest suicide rates in america and when we started doing the proper interviews at his at his home before he went to prison um, during one session marie just recalled that conversation and stuck the question in and it really took craig by surprise look you guys do this for a living craig does this for a living you can anticipate many of the questions that you're gonna be asked. So to a certain extent, I think Craig knew a lot of the themes that we were gonna be talking about. But when we asked that question, Craig just went, I never saw that coming.
3: It was originally in the film where we had him say you know, that. I never saw that, that coming.
2: coming. I never saw that question coming. And then it took him, I don't know, it seemed like an eternity to decide whether he was gonna share that story or not. But. In the end he did. To his
3: credit. He did.
2: And he he told us that story. And then subsequently we met with his producer who told exactly the same story from his perspective. And so we managed to to cut the two together. But it 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 took us aback, I have to say, because of all the people that we ever thought would be capable or consider doing something like that, he would probably be at the bottom of the list.
1: Well, you know, it's, it, what's kind of cool about that also, it, it kind of gives you a glimpse on how he probably dealt with life as well, right? He talk about, um, you know, all these things that he was suppressing inside. And so he has this moment of vul- vulnerability to his producer. And then at the end, he's like, all right, fuck you. I'll see you later. Boom, <laughs> <done>. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, he, and he pushes it all back down, you know what no! I mean?
3: It's, it's it's great that you caught that. Yes, that is that's so typical of Craig. And I love Sherrod's line in the beginning when he says, you know, there's a lot of angles to that guy. There's Craig and he's nice and he's timid and he's this and he's that and then there's Carton and he's an asshole. You know and I just love that line. So and it kind of does wrap it all up in one sentence.
1: For sure. Yeah. Speaking of wrapping up, um again, thank you so much for joining us today on the Total BS podcast. Wildcard, the downfall of Radio Loudmouth debuts October 7th next week on HBO. Uh, congratulations on the documentary. I hope it does very, very well. And,
0: Incredible uh, doc. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so, so
1: much we, for joining we'll
2: us. Plugging this in the or I'll be plugging this in the UK now.
1: So. That's what I'm talking about, man. Yeah, worldwide. Worldwide. <laughs> worldwide. Like like prestige worldwide, baby. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much
2: Bye, guys.
0: Thank and best of luck.
1: You. Thank so you, yeah. Marty Marie.
2: Thank you.
1: Well, wow, that was, that was fantastic. Thank you so much to those two for joining us. It was uh, enlightening and I love the, the aspect and the personality um, that they give this documentary, obviously outside of the documentary itself, because I think it it's um, much needed when you're talking about the complexities of a case and of a situation like this. Mm -hmm. And
0: it's a harsh reality for for a guy like Craig Carton because he had it all. And that's one thing uh, that you brought up, Saul, at the beginning of the documentary is he talked about how he was the most listened radio show in New York. He was one of the top radio shows in the entire country. He had a huge fan base, and he was living – not a double life, but more of a triple life. He said, I I had my radio career here. I had my family over here. And then I gambled in the wee hours in the morning all night. And then I would just go and live my life as if nothing happened. And when I watched and heard him talk about living that triple life, I wondered, how does this man sleep? Does he sleep on a helicopter? Like, how does this man have the energy to just completely live his life the way he's living right now.
1: It's a, it's almost like um, you almost start to feel like he's living in fear. You know what I mean? And fear is a great motivator. It'll get your ass up in the morning. You know what I mean? And and the fear of trying to overcome this massive amount of debt at some point, you know, caused him to travel to Atlantic City so many times in the middle of the night and fly back. You know, I thought that was the kind of the coolest. I was like, man, I didn't realize it was like that. You yeah. know, a, a, a radio jockey essentially um, flying from New York to Atlantic City and back—like that's like G-level stuff. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, what? And when so, he kind of
0: had to because, you know, Atlantic City is two and a half hours away. Two and a half hours, and one of the guys—I uh, think it was one of his producers—said it like, "You're spending five hours each day traveling just to do an to, hour of gambling, just to gamble." Like, what's yeah. the point? So he said, "You know what? Bet, bring in the chopper. Let's go to Atlantic City." <laughs> bring in the chopper. <laughs> <laughs> but,
1: anyway, also, by the way, can we just say this out loud? Atlantic City is a dump. <laughs> I've never been. <laughs> oh my! <laughs> God. I went there one time. Okay, this is back in two thousand eight. I Went back there, um, and uh, I was I was I was in New Jersey, which also dump. Um and uh and and we decided uh, as our, I was in the military and, and our group was like hey what are we gonna do this weekend let's go to Atlantic City so we went to Atlantic City and I've been to the Bravada Casino which is crazy and we get to we get to um Atlantic City and we went to um uh, Caesar's Palace because they have a Caesar's Palace in Atlantic City I didn't know that and um and it's right up there against the shore and. I kid you not. I saw like three heroin needles on the shore that had washed up, and I was like, "Man, this is just like the movies."
0: <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's a. It's always in sunny Philadelphia uh, episode oh, where they where they go to to Jersey Shore, and just, I'm sure it's just a complete dump.
1: Absolutely, but you know, going back to this, you know, I, I thought um, a couple things in the documentary that we didn't bring up with her uh, or with them is number one, um, just the the narration and and the things that he was talking about um especially like writing in prison um even the the small little detail of prison meals which i thought you know he's talking bean. about well they yeah they get they get a meal at 10 and they get a meal at 3 so they only get two meals a day which is crazy two meals a day and so then they have to live off a commissary uh the rest of the time and he was talking about making this like ramen fondito soup thing um uh, which uh, you know you got to you, the gotta leave the the, yeah, you gotta leave the chicken. Yeah, you gotta leave the chicken in the Dorito bag to get the the good flavor out. It's <laughs> <laughs> just, you know, a lot of people if if they've never been to prison, they probably can't relate to that and they don't understand that. Me being in the military, not that it was the prison, but me being in the military, uh, when we would be on exercises, we would have to eat MREs. And those MREs, some of them were good, some of them were awful. And you just were like, Man, I hope I get a good one today. And you would bust it open and it'd be like, you know, like chicken tortilla soup and you're like, all right, yeah, but God help you. If you got the lasagna, man, If you got the lasagna or the ravioli, man, that ravioli has been sitting there for like years, decades. And you got to break open this little, this. So it's like this little pack, right? They give you this little pack and you got to open it up and put, pour water into it and it, and it heats up. Um, it like, it has like these chemicals in it and it heats up. And then you just put your meal against that and it heats up the, the meal pack and you got to do that for like maybe three or four minutes and it heats up your food and then you open it up and you eat your food. Um, and that's how you heat your food. And it's just it's all it's a meal ready to eat and comes in a box and you can still buy them at the commissary, which I'm still to this day. I'm like, who the f- is buying this? Like, you should never subject yourself to this kind of torture because these things are awful. But I know a lot of people love them. And God bless them, but oh, they familiar. love them.
0: Oh, I thought oh. it was like everybody hated them. And my thing was, no, why are why are the lot, people serving this country getting these type of meals? Like a lot of people <laughs> do hate them, but
1: there's a lot of people that do love them too. So it's kind of a, a love hate relationship. Like it's like a two thousand calorie pack because you're out in the middle of nowhere, and and you might be you know low crawling to said place. Like I was in the middle of let me let me just say this real quick. <laughs> I was in the middle of Fort Dix, New Jersey. Fort Dix. That's an a, actual name? It's is, is an, an army base out in New Jersey. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's Fort Dix. And it's right by McGuire Air Force Base. And we were stuck there for 30 days doing this air advisor course before we went to Iraq. So not only were we gone from our families for eight months, we had to serve an additional extra month in cold-ass New Jersey with snow all around it. And we were out in the middle of the field, low-crawling through the forest and this mud and all this bullshit. Justin, do you know how many days I was in Iraq where I saw a freaking ounce of snow?
0: Zero. Zero. It's the Middle East, man. It
1: was 125 degrees out there. There was no reason for snow. And we're doing we're doing uh driver uh safety training and like learning how to like get out of a getaway in like a cutlass. <laughs> and there's not a cutlass to be seen in Iraq. I'm swerving around cones in snow there's no snow in Iraq. There's no way. If I'm in a cutlass in the middle of Iraq and there's snow best believe the world has come to an end. I promise you. And so we're doing these trainings and it's just, anyway, the MRE and all that stuff kind of reminded me of what he was talking about in the the prison food and stuff like that. And it's just, man, that was, that was, it was a great documentary. I really liked it a lot. Um, At first I was like, "Mm, you know, where are we going with this? And then um, it got really juicy and just, I think I think the lesson here, Justin, is that no matter where you are in life, it's always going to be better than prison. You know what I mean? And sometimes I think we're so wrapped up into our own BS that we can't see how good our life or our situation is sometimes. And we take it for granted. Yeah. and then we lose it all. And and then you're like, and then you look back and you're like, man, I, I had it all right there. I had it all right there. And it's gone. You know yeah. what I mean? And it happens to so many people. And you just wish that they could overcome that kind of stuff and think about it in the moment. And I know you and I have both been guilty of of taking advantage or or, or, or not realizing the greatness of a situation that we might currently be in. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and, and not really squeezing every opportunity that we can out of said situation. Um, but yeah. it makes us better as we move forward because when we see those situations again, we try to take advantage of them like and we you, are right now with this podcast.
0: And you get served a slice of humble pie. And that was one thing that Craig Carton was served in prison. When you're talking about the prison food, I was also going to bring up. Well, yeah, well, he also got some humble pie, too, because this is a guy who was at the top of the radio world, a multi-millionaire, two Two million dollars a year. We get served humble pie all the time. And we just. On the daily. (laughs) On the daily. Like we don't we don't know how great of a situation we have. And I'm definitely, like you said, Saul, guilty of that within this past year. Um, you know, Craig Carton was a guy who was at the top of the radio world making millions of dollars. You get to turn on a mic and serve an audience and make millions of dollars while doing it, talking sports. That is the dream job. That is that is what I have signed up for, and I'm sorry. I'm sure I could speak on the behalf of you. That seems like something that you'd want to do, making millions of dollars, talking sports. But we are know, free agents, if you're listening out there. Just, just, so just saying, know. just saying. We're worldwide. That's it. Prestige, <laughs> Prestige worldwide, <laughs> world, wide, wide. But this is a situation where boats and yes. <laughs> <laughs> he had he had everything yeah. and it all went away because of an addiction and it wasn't drugs it wasn't alcohol it was gambling and it's not something that can really take a toll on your physical health but that thrill and just that that rush of winning money and that the the opportunity to to stack up your winnings People live for that, and gambling addiction is definitely a real thing. Craig Carton is a classic example of it because he got to a point where he was so arrogant, so cocky, that he was the blackjack whisperer. That's Mm -hmm. what, that's what what he called himself. And he started losing money, so then he started taking out loans and borrowing money. And the vicious cycle built up, and then it got to a point where he owed millions of dollars to other people, and that's illegal. And it caught up to him. And that morning, when he got up to go to his radio show, he was served a slice of humble pie. He thought it was a fan recognizing him at 3 o'clock in the morning. But as soon as he saw that badge, his whole life changed after that point. Ain't no, and, ain't
1: no, ain't no fans out there at 3 o'clock in the morning outside of your apartment complex, bro. There just and, isn't. If,
0: and if that's the case, you better call the feds. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you won't got to because they right there in front of you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, so, we could, we could.
1: You know, we talked about it earlier uh, with them. Um, Craig uh, is actually um, Craig Carton is actually uh, potentially coming back soon. Uh, he did have an offer um, from the fanatic in Philadelphia. And he also is currently, uh, the rumor is, uh, and this is an article that was published about seven hours ago, um, he is currently in negotiations to return to WFAN in New York as the afternoon host. Um, So Boomer is still there with WFAN. He's still doing his morning show with another sidekick. Um, But Craig Carton could come back to WFAN uh, for the afternoon show. I think um, from what I read, they're negotiating, and they could announce it sometime after the documentary airs um, just to make sure that there's no blowback and, and people are cool with it, essentially. And, um, you know, and honestly, Justin, you and I are big proponents of second chances. Um, people make mistakes in life. Uh, it happens. And you don't know what's going on in people's lives at in the moment that they're in them. And you don't know – it's easy for us to Monday morning quarterback and be like, oh, this guy completely screwed up his life or this girl did this or whatever. You know what I mean? It's easy to do that. But if you take the time to find out what events led from the from A all the way to Z and you put the whole picture together, you might have a completely different perspective. And I think in this case um, that it actually is, had come to fruition. You know, the, the molesting when he was a kid at summer camp – um, it manifested in so many different ways as he moved through life and it caught up with him. And that's that's my biggest takeaway is is you might underplay your life or you might underplay some of the most um, tragic things that are going on in your life. It doesn't hurt to just talk. Talk to somebody. Let them know like what has happened and how you feel about it. Um, it doesn't make you weak. It doesn't make you a coward. It doesn't make you, you know, Um, sensitive or or emotional. It's just who you are and what has happened. And it's okay to talk about that and get the help. And I'm glad that it seems like he has gotten that help. Um, At least I hope so. Um, They didn't really talk much about any rehab or anything like that. Um, Prison, to a degree, can rehab you, um, especially as you reflect on it yourself. But, you know, I, I would have liked to have seen something in terms of a rehab um, you know assessment after he got out just to make sure that like he's okay and who knows i'm I, i'm just speaking out of turn he could be doing that right now as we speak yeah. so i have no idea but um I, I i think if they would have touched that touched on that in the documentary that would have been the only thing that i feel like is really missing from the documentary
0: yeah and addicts once once they get a little taste of of what they were addicted to they fall right back into the rabbit hole Um, I've seen addict behavior firsthand, not gambling, so to speak. Um, I've seen drug addiction firsthand and even though they get arrested and go to jail or prison, they get right back into it as soon as they get out. And because that's all they know, fortunately for Craig Carton, he is a very witty, smart, um, intelligent guy who's very aware of his situation. And, um, Although, like you said, Saul, there there wasn't really a rehab mention in the documentary. Right. Uh, from my perspective, and what I took away from it is that he's ready to begin his second life. Yeah. You know he he got out. Uh, they didn't say it was it was due to COVID. Uh, they just said it it was good behavior, yeah. and and he was released. And now he's about to begin his second life. And what? What he does with that, that's between him and God. But, you know, when you get a second chance, and not a lot of people do, you have to make the most out of the situation. So best of luck to Craig Hart and hopefully he finds success.
1: Yeah. Especially at that level, you know, uh, getting a second chance at that level doesn't come very often. And so if he does get that second chance, good for him. And uh, and I hope he does. And I hope he he does everything he possibly can with it and, uh, succeeds, um, at a high level like he did before. So we'll Mm -hmm. see. Anyway, that's the total BS podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Tell them what, uh, Justin, tell them where they can find us.
0: A big shout-out to uh, Marty and Marie for joining us on uh, today's podcast. Saul, happy International Podcast Day to you. And be sure to subscribe to the Total BS Podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And also be sure to subscribe to our YouTube account and Twitch so you can watch the Sunday live show and also like us on all social media platforms.
1: Yeah, you get to that YouTube, hit that bell too. hit that notification button. So you know exactly when we're coming up live. Yeah. Uh, So you know when we're coming on and and how we're doing our business. We'll be back on Sunday with Luke Lipinski um, as we try to tackle what I am sure is going to be something to talk about when it comes to the Lakers in the finals. (laughs) And then we'll recap Sunday's NFL uh, games as long, uh, as well as um, a bunch of MLB games that are going on. and there's gonna be some series that are gonna be over. Actually, most of the first round series will be over by that point. So uh, a lot to unpack on Sunday. Please come join us. Until then, we will see you when we see you. Peace.. spit
2: your best sixteen if you must. you're not whack. You just sound whack rapping after us, fans just might turn into our fans be cool it's just a part of this program spit your best 16 if you must you not whack you just sound whack rapping after us